As you're being seated, if you would please turn in your copies of God's Word to the New Testament, to Luke chapter 24. We have been in a two and a half year journey through the Gospel of Luke. And praise to the providence of God, we have arrived at chapter 24 just in time for Easter. That is all the providence of God. That is not my planning. Elder Board can attest to that. We are here in this most joyful passage of Scripture in Luke 24. We will be reading from verses 1 through 12 today. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the man said to them, Why do you seek the dead among the, the, the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. This is a marvelous passage of Scripture, arguably one of the most important passages of Scripture in our lives today. So before we look into it, let's ask God's help that we could see it properly. Oh Lord, we thank you for this joyous passage, the passage that changes everything about our lives and the course of the world. And I ask that you would help us to study and to know it well. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. What is something in your life that you will never forget? Maybe it's a conversation that you had or something significant that you've experienced in in your life that has shaped the way you live either one portion of of your life or all the rest of it. I've told this story before, but I remember a conversation my father and I had. My dad doesn't remember this conversation, but it was still a very impactful one for me. We were driving home from a conference where I heard some of the greatest preachers alive in the country at that time. We were driving home on I-95, and we passed by a billboard for Harley-Davidson motorcycles. 
And it showed the sort of rider that you would expect on there and all of his glorious freedom, as it were. And it said a simple sentence on there. It said, she'll get over it. It's the tagline for Harley Davidson to try to motivate you to purchase one. And my dad looked at the billboard and briefly looked at me because he was driving. And he said, son, that billboard is trying to sell you something. And it's not just a motorcycle. It's a view of what a man is, of one who's going to take whatever he wants out of life and it doesn't matter what other people think of him. He said, but that's not a man. He said, the real man is the one who is behind the wheel of a minivan, who is sacrificing for his family. I never forgot that. That conversation took place almost 20 years ago now. I came home from, as I said, some of the greatest preachers of the United States at the time. I don't remember anything I heard from those preachers. But I remember that from my dad, because that has shaped how I have formed my view of Christian manhood and what that looks like. It also made a recent purchase of a minivan much easier. (laughs) It was something I'll never forget. And this passage here is something we should never forget. Because when we forget this passage, these words... We make a mistake with the rest of our lives. When we forget that Christ has risen from the grave, and that means we too one day will as well. Anytime we miss our focus on that, we make mistakes. We misdirect our lives. We sin. So as we look at this passage today, let's see what all of these things imply. And what this passage means to us today. I'm very excited to do this today. We're going to look at two points that we're going to cover. You'll see them uh, tucked into your bulletin. It's on the back of the prayer guide if you would like to follow along. We have some pens if if you're the note-taking type. The two points that we're going to look at today are Jesus has defeated death. Which is a statement we speak so much we have lost the impact of what that means. But Jesus has defeated death. We're going to unpack that. And then the second one is you can find life in him. That's what we're going to see today. So Jesus has defeated death, our first point. One of my commentaries had amusingly put that resurrection is not something that happens on a regular basis. This is quite a startling event in in the life of the world. Death is something that happens to everyone. We know that today, and the ancients knew it as well. We tend to not give the ancients a whole lot of credit. We tend to think that they're so much more gullible than we are. People have been trying to paint what the resurrection was, like, well, maybe perhaps Jesus passed out, or perhaps the disciples just so wanted Jesus to rise from, from the dead that they just imagined the whole resurrection thing. No, the disciples knew that when someone was dead, they were dead. And in fact, they probably knew that even better than we do today. With all of our medical technologies, the line between life and death has been moved a little bit. This was something where when you went through what Jesus went through, there was no coming back from that. They'd seen it many times, and they were not expecting Jesus to rise. So that's why here on the first day of the week... The women are coming to bring spices to help prepare Jesus' body. 
Jesus has died late on a Friday evening, and they, they were not allowed to do any work on the Sabbath day, which began sundown on Friday night. They had to hastily prepare Jesus' body, quickly wrap him up in linen, and place him in the tomb before the Sabbath began. And they realized, we'll just have to wait until Sunday, the first day of the week, and we'll be able to finish the process of preparing Jesus' body. The Jews did not embalm people, so the way that you would reduce the uh, decomposition smell of the body would be to wrap it with much, much spices and pleasant aroma to help prepare and honor the body of their fallen Lord and Master. These women had arrived at the tomb previously. If you were with us on the Good Friday service, we looked at that in verse 56 and 55, that they had followed Jesus to that tomb. They knew where it was. They knew what they needed to do, and they were to come back. So now the ladies are on their way, and in verse 2, they encounter their first mystery of the morning. That is, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. The other gospel accounts show us that this was a very heavy stone that would have been rolled in front of the mouth of a cave-like structure that would have been made for the tomb. And it was sealed up. This was on the order of the chief priests and the Pharisees because they wanted to make sure that there would be no tomfoolery going on with Jesus' body. They wanted to make sure that he would stay in that grave. Praise the Lord, that doesn't work. So they find this stone rolled back, and they think, uh, I could imagine they were thinking, oh good, we are now able to get and prepare this body, because with that big stone in the way, that wasn't going to be something that could have been easily moved. But then they go in to the tomb, and they find out that there is no body there. And here, look at verse 4. It says that they were perplexed about this. As you could imagine. Again, this is something that they were not expecting to find. They had brought these spices. They were, they were expecting to prepare a body, but there is no body there to prepare. So this significance is explained to them. This is the biggest moment in all of redemptive history. The whole rest of the Bible has been leading up to here. So they needed a little explanation. What's going on? And here's what we find. Verse 4. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? You can hear almost the incredulous tone in their voice. Like, why are you here? What are you doing here in the gravesite? You could imagine as some, some families will purchase burial plots in advance, you wouldn't go to the plot to go visit your family when they're still alive in the living room. In fact, in some ways, to do that would be seen as insulting, to go looking for someone in a grave who is actually still alive. And this is, you can see the same sort of tone that's in the angel's voice as he's telling them this. Why are you here? Jesus is alive. And then look in verse 6. He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you? This should have brought some things to mind. Because this is not the first time that they're hearing about resurrection. Jesus has told them at many points in his ministry that this was going to happen. 
He has done this in many different ways. When he was with, the, when he was with his disciples at the Last Supper, he was talking about, I'm telling you these things now so that you'll believe me when I rise again. Peter, you're going to deny me, but you're going to turn back around. I will go, he, was, he had said many times, I'm going to be handed over to the Pharisees. I'm going to die. And just like Jonah, the son of man, his favorite nickname for himself, is going to be, I'm going to rise again. But none of them remembered these things. Perhaps it was because they weren't really sure either what he meant, or perhaps that was just, even for them, that was too big a claim to believe. But Jesus has never been wrong before. He was never wrong when he said that there was enough to feed 5,000 people when he was presented with a couple of fish and a couple of loaves. He wasn't wrong when he said, Lazarus, come out of the grave. He wasn't wrong when he said he would die. And here Jesus continues his perfect record. He's not wrong yet again when he said that he would rise. Jesus was right. And here in verse 8, and they remembered his words. And then verse 9, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to 11 and all the rest. I see verse 8 as being such a key point. They remembered his words, and that changed what they did. Here they were at the tomb because they didn't remember Jesus' words. They didn't see that he was going to rise again. But as soon as they remembered his words, all of a sudden something that was completely unbelievable is now the gospel truth. As they turn and go and tell others. Do we not see an analogy in our own lives? How often when we think about our lives, we do so forgetting about Jesus' words. Like those words where he says, because he, his spirit has written the scriptures, so everything that's here is Jesus' words. We sometimes get the two caught up in the red letters versus the black letters. They're all the letters are Jesus's. All the letters are God's. And when he says things like, all things work together for good to those who are, love God, to those who are the called according to his purposes, we forget those words. And we live differently, don't we? We'll look at these things as nothing but troubles. No good can come out of these things because we forget his words. Or here in this resurrection story in particular, when we forget these words, we miss the chance to find life. As we'll see in our second point, we turn to now, that you can find life in Christ This is one of those passages that we just can't stress enough. Because we forget where our lives are going. Which is really interesting. All of us, at some point in our lives, are going to face death. It's an uncomfortable reality. And one that when we forget this passage is not pleasant to think about. Most of us choose to just not deal with those things and just live life in the here and now and live as if we will live forever here. But this passage emboldens us to take a look at this part of our lives, which we all will face. We are all going to face this death, and then there is going to be something after. 
This is what we have to consider. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, those calculations would be very different. In fact, Paul makes Paul kind of plays some uh, thought experiments with this in 1 Corinthians 15. When he talks about if Christ is not raised, then you are still in your sins. And we of all people are to be most pitied. Because here we've dedicated our entire lives to following after this person that's still dead. The person who had promised us life can't have life himself. So if that's the case, Paul says, eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die. Live for yourself. Do whatever you want. It doesn't matter because we'll all die if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But Jesus did rise from the dead. That's why he can close the passage in 1 Corinthians 15 by saying, Oh, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Because it's not the end. There is more beyond this. And it's not like, as one famous movie had put it, life is cruel, so why should the afterlife be any different? The reason is because of Jesus, because he's risen from the dead. We all have a massive problem in that we all sin. That is our biggest problem. Whatever it is that you have walked away from today to join us here in this building, whatever problem you have left behind or at least are trying to mentally leave behind today is not your biggest problem. It's our sin. Because that's the reason why we die in the first place. It says in the book of Romans that all who have sinned, the wages of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life. And worse, we've all sinned. None of us have done good. We might be able to compare ourselves to each other and maybe we might be able to find some rankings there, but each other is not the standard. Perfection is. Reflecting the Ten Commandments perfectly. And if we were to die with these sins still on us, then we face eternal death. We are body and soul. Our physical body will one day stop, but we're not just reduced down to a chemical process. We're a spirit as well. And when we die, our spirit goes from either to heaven or to hell, a place of eternal bliss or a place of eternal torment and suffering. I can imagine... Whenever we hear something like that, this seems like, man, that seems really harsh. Conscious torment forever? For a few lies? Really? That's what we find out. We have to remember who it is that we're sinning against. We've sinned against God. We've sinned against the creator and king of the universe. who, Who are you going to appeal to to save you from that judgment? The only person you can appeal to is God. And we're guilty, all of us. So the only person, as R.C. Sproul said, who can save you from God is God. And that's what he did. Sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come and live a perfect life for us. Never sinning in any way. And always doing what was good. So this way we can swap records. He promises to give you all of his goodness and to take all of your badness and died on the cross for it. That's why Jesus died, 
It's not because of anything he did. He didn't commit any sins. He's dying for all of ours. But if he had just died and didn't rise again, then we wouldn't know if the debt was fully paid. The fact that Jesus has come to life again means he's used up all the debt that there is. He's taken it all away. And now it promises us life eternal. Now you say, but what about all the people that are still in graves? What about them? Is it only just non-Christians who die? No, we'll all face physical death. But like what we've seen here in this resurrection, that's not the last stop. One day, Christ will return. And all those who are in the graves will be raised up again. You will have your body brought back to you, redeemed, thankfully, renewed. And you will live again. That's the promise that he gives to you. Now you may say, okay, great. My eternity is taken care of. That is a weight off my shoulders. But what about tomorrow? Does this make a difference to me tomorrow? Yes, I think it does. With your biggest problem taken care of, it really puts the rest of our problems into perspective, doesn't it? Knowing that one day you are going to be raised again to life eternal, blissful existence for eternity into eternity. Is it really worth fighting about how the dishes are stacked in the dishwasher with your spouse? I don't think so. Or say, we're going to live forever. Heaven is going to be the most of our consciousness. Am I going to spend most of my time worrying about the six inches of my life that's here? Is climbing the corporate ladder really that important? Or would it be better to invest in what's going on here in eternity? I'm not saying we all have to quit our jobs and become pastors, but it does change about why we're doing what we're doing. It's like, hey, heaven is real. Hell is real too. There are people who need to know about this. There is more going on than the 80 or so years that we're going to spend here because we're going to spend billions of years on the other side. It's a real thing. Isn't this something that we want to communicate to our children and our grandchildren? Isn't it worth investing this time to give them that kind of hope? Because ultimately, when we come to the end of our lives, and we all will, none of us will regret that we didn't make a few more dollars or spend a few more hours at the office. But we will have wanted to invest what we have here to our kids. This is our hope. When we are dying, we don't have to look at this as terrible. We can look to this as this is going to be the start of a renewed life, a chance to be with Jesus forever. There's a lot at stake here. There's a lot of significance too. When we live our lives the way that Jesus calls us to, he speaks that this is bringing eternal rewards in heaven. What does that look like? I don't know, but I look forward to getting there and finding out what it is. Sounds like Jesus has put a lot of investment towards that. It is worth considering. This is what the resurrection does. It's more than just a historical fact, because it is, but it is that. Nothing less than that, but it's so much more. Because not only does this mean that one day you will rise from the dead, 
But the person who is taking you to heaven is also still alive and promises to be with you. That's what he promises at the end of Matthew. I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Jesus is continuing to work within and through you right now. Jesus is praying for you right now because he is alive. No other religion can claim that for you. Everyone else you're following is either a philosophy or a dead guy. Jesus is alive and promises to fill you with his power to help you live as he chooses for you to. But now what happens to those that don't believe? Let's take a look at what we follow. In verse 10, here Luke is giving us a description of the people who were there to see Jesus rise from the dead. These are not three strangers. These are people that were known to the apostles. Look here in verse 10. It says, Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women who were with them. Now, Mary Magdalene and Joanna have appeared in our passage before. They go all the way back to Luke chapter 8. If you blinked, you might have missed them in our listing of the disciples and those who had followed after Jesus. But here they are in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 2, describing those who were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, like Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chizza, Herod's household manager. So Mary Magdalene has had a very personal experience with Jesus and has been healed spiritually by him. And Joanna is the wife of, of a political official's household management. He's the guy who's looking after all of Herod's affairs. Hardly flighty people. Or hardly people that haven't been here for some time. In fact, it was likely that it was Joanna's finances, at least a part of it was, that was helping make this mission possible. So these aren't people that had just strangers that walked by a tomb and said, you know that tomb you guys were burying this guy in the, the other night? It's empty now. Well, these are people that knew him personally. But what was the effect? Verse 11. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Notice there's no change in what they do. They didn't remember his words. Nor did they believe him when those words were presented to him. In fact, we will find out later the other um, Gospel accounts, and indeed, later on in Luke, we will see when Jesus does appear, they are rather frightened. They didn't expect that. Nobody expects the resurrection. Not even the disciples. But when they do see Jesus, when they do remember his words, there's a profound change in direction. Peter, who was once terrified to even be associated with Jesus just a couple of chapters ago, scared by people asking questions, now becomes one of the boldest preachers in the world in Acts just a few weeks later, who is later crucified himself and dies. 
all the other disciples who were huddled in a room with doors locked because they didn't want the religious leaders to find them now become bold preachers who all but John end up dying for the cause of the gospel. And John, he got exiled to, exiled to the island of Patmos, so he hardly had a nice ending either. All of these have been profoundly changed because of what they saw in the resurrection. There was one that perhaps made a difference, and it is Peter, who I mentioned earlier, verse 12. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. There is debate in scholarly circles as to what that word marveling means. Some of them think perhaps that this is a good thing, and Peter has come somewhat to faith and is rejoicing that Jesus is alive. Others would say this is just marveling. This isn't faith. It's just, wow, I wonder what's happened here. Either way, whether this was the first glimpse of faith for him or whether it was still a little bit to go, perhaps you can relate to Peter. Perhaps some of you have been in church all your lives, or at least your parents have, and you've heard about this Jesus, and you know it has made some sort of difference in some things that you think about, but maybe there hasn't been a full transformation yet, not like what we see with the rest of the disciples. It might be, perhaps, you have only glanced at the tomb, stooped and looked in and popped back out. What I would call you to do today And then perhaps if you've never done this, this would be a great way to spend your afternoon or evening. Is to reflect on what this means. To look into a tomb and say, what does it mean that somebody conquered death? And not just for themselves, but for me. That this resurrection life can be mine one day. How do you access something like that? It's by trusting in Christ. What does it mean to trust him? It means to tell, to to look to Jesus and say what you are saying is true. And that makes a difference in my life. A lot the same way I use this analogy many times, but it works very well. When you are going skydiving and you are trusting in your parachute, you don't demonstrate that trust by flapping your arms and thinking and being stressed that this is what's going to keep you above the ground. It's going to be leaning your full weight into that parachute. And it's the same thing with death. All of us one day are going to jump out of that plane of life. We will no longer be in that. What are you trusting in to get you safely into heaven? Is it going to be because I went to church this X number of times? Because I've read my Bible X number of times? Because I've prayed because I, because I, because I, because I? No. Trusting in Christ is saying... Jesus said I could come. He's making this offering to you today. All you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. That's what Jesus offers to you. Leave behind those sins. This is what Jesus come to save you from anyway. Leave those things behind and put your full trust in him. That's our takeaway from this passage. It's the, it's the most simple thing, but it's the most profound thing. Jesus has defeated death and can bring new life to you.
It's the greatest thing I could ever tell you. Is that your life can be saved. And not just in the grave. But if you have something that you're holding on to, a sin that you need to stop, a thing that you want to get over in your life that's holding you back, the sin is not something you can defeat on your own. Whatever that may be. I'll leave that to your own imaginations, your own experiences to, to see. Whatever that is that you're thinking about right now, when I mention the word sin, Jesus promises to take care of that, to change you. It might not happen instantaneously. Most of the time it doesn't. But when we stay close to him, we read his word, we seek him out in prayer and find more and more reason to trust him. Slowly but surely, that sin will be taken away. Slowly but surely, you'll be more turned towards the things of God. And it's new life that begins today as we move on our ways toward God. So I pray if this is something that has been true of you, then I rejoice with you. Take this news and take it to other people. Help them see that there can be hope of eternal life. And if this is not true for you, I'll be in the back after service today. I will be happy to hang around for however long you need. Be happy to talk with you and show you how you can have this relationship with Jesus as well. This is a beautiful thing, and I hope that this has been all a part of your lives. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for bringing us life eternal. That you have made a way to save us from our sin, to take all of the punishment that was aimed at us and swallow it. I ask that we would remember your words, that we have a hope that exists beyond today, that one day every sad thing will come untrue and life will be made new. I pray that that is the case for everyone who is here and everyone who is listening, that they would find life in you. I ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.